I'm really excited to share that my TEDx talk, The Future of Work, is out. It combines my personal story with practical ways we can all come together to create a better world of work by focusing on human sustainability. Just search for Jen Fisher TEDx on your preferred search engine to watch my talk, and please join me in the movement to make well-being the future of work by sharing it with your networks. Thank you. Can you believe it's the 100th episode of the Work Well podcast series? And what better way to celebrate than with a visit from one of our very first guests from all the way back in episode one? A lot has changed since then, especially in the workplace. How have these changes reshaped our thinking about the workplace and evolved our understanding of how work impacts our lives? This is the Work Well podcast series by Deloitte. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things purpose, well-being, and human sustainability. I'm here with Dr. Kelly Monahan. She's a researcher, writer, and speaker on talent decision-making and the future of work. She's also the managing director at Upwork, leading their Future of Work research program. Her research has been recognized and published in both applied and academic journals, and she's also the author of the book, How Behavioral Economics Influences Management Decision-Making, a New Paradigm. Kelly, welcome back to the show. Jen, it is so good to be here, and I'm so thankful that you invited me back. Yeah, I mean, for our OG listeners, Dr. Kelly Monahan should be a familiar name because she was one of our very first guests on the show, which is so cool um, and only fitting that we have you back for the 100th episode of the WorkWell podcast series. So let's get back to the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> what led you to become so passionate about human behavior and in particular human behavior at work? Uh, Jen, it's so glad to be here. And I, and I love that question. You know, I think what I realized as I actually started growing up and becoming an adult is we spend so much of our lives at work and whether for right or wrong, so much of our identity and who we are is often derived from work. And so for me, so much of that feels still, and I know we can go back to what we talked about a couple of years ago, it still feels so broken. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where my passion comes from. Um, you know, as I think through how do we begin to heal societies and, and do good for others? I actually think so much of that work has to start in the workplace. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I, I mean, you referenced our conversation from three years ago or almost, right? Mm -hmm. um, the first episode, which seems so wide, actually it's probably more than three years ago, right? It was, it was pre-pandemic, everything pre-pandemic yeah. like feels like I don't know, like it didn't happen in some ways. <laughs> yes. So it was probably like five years ago, I guess, at this point. Um, but like, you know, you said everything still feels so broken. Tell me where we are now and how has your thinking about the workplace changed and, and evolved over the past five years? How do we get back to that hopeful place that we can yeah. change things and that we can make it better? I love that. And, and I think you're right. I think we, as I like to say, I'm still an optimist um, as we think about, you know, overall, as people continue to develop over time, the length of time, it gives me a lot of hope as opposed to sometimes when we look at these short term um, situations. So, you know, I think what's happened, you know, when you and I spoke, you know, five plus years ago now, there was optimism because, you know, as we think about AI was really beginning to take hold in the workplace, whether that's robotic process automation or even some simplistic machine learning, 
that was all coming to the forefront. And I think that was going to be seen as a lever that might help us, um, especially thinking about the theme of your podcast, does that going to actually help us work better and be well at work? And so I think that's where some of the optimism was coming in and what was happening at the same time, talent was rising to the CEO agenda. And mm. so, yes, we still had to make a business case. And I remember we talked about, you know, what <laughs> is the ROI that CHROs in particular need to be making? And Fast forward five years later, and AI has only continued to accelerate in advancement. And I think the trouble is we had a global pandemic, you know, in the midst of that. And so people had to be forced to work differently very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I became so optimistic because I thought, oh my God, this might be the breakthrough moment we need to get distributed work right, to get remote work right, to lead differently, to actually have very human conversations, especially centered around well-being. Um, in the workplace. And so I think we saw that happen at the onset of the pandemic. And I think where I'm concerned today, and you know, we're doing a lot of research to figure out to equip leaders, how do we make sure we don't revert back to pre-pandemic norms? And so yeah. the fact that so much of our headlines are still focused on where we work, how often do people need to get together, as opposed to saying, hey, how do we actually create organizational systems that are distributed, that still are digital, that still enable human connection? And, and I think we're still not quite having that conversation yet, which is a bit surprising to me. Yeah. I also think that so much of the conversation around, I'm just going to use the broader category of like technology, but inclusive of AI and generative AI is I think back, you know, 10 years ago and the promise of technology was that it was going to make us more efficient and therefore we'd have more free time and therefore we'd be able to pursue more meaningful human work, but also pursue passions and have time outside of work. And I feel like with technology in general, perhaps it made us more efficient, but we didn't, we weren't given that time to do things that we were necessarily passionate about or that felt more meaningful or felt more purposeful, right? I feel like we were all just like, okay, you're more efficient and more effective. We're just going to give you more work to do. <laughs> and so now I feel like with AI and generative AI and all these new things and new terms, like it feels very, it still feels very fear-based in many ways, as opposed to okay, well, how do we as humans actually use these tools in a very positive way to enhance our humanity in the workplace as opposed to, you know, just continuing to kind of grind um, and give us more work or work that still doesn't feel meaningful and purposeful. Can you comment on that? Yeah. yeah and I think it's funny. It's probably where some of my thinking has evolved since the last time we spoke is, you know, I think at the time I was pretty bullish on <laughs> people being able to, to make the right decision to your point with some of the efficiency and free time that we've unlocked. And I think the constant unintended consequence and, and maybe a bit of a surprise has been that a lot of the technology that we've consumed has actually become very addictive. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that time save that we have has now just turned into another technology platform or another technology use as opposed to actually using that free time to connect with others in real life or go on a hike in nature or some of that. And so I do think that as organizations and as leaders, we have to be very explicit in the guardrails that we put on technology use. Yeah. It is so accessible. It's on our phones. It's everywhere. And we, it's, it's, it's not our fault, right? Like looking at a behavioral science, 
we know as humans, we want to do the right thing oftentimes, but if the technology and systems are wired to have a path of least resistance, where it's too easy to pick up that phone and check a message or, you know, check back into work at 10 o'clock at night, I think we've got to be careful that that has become very normalized in mm-hmm. a lot of organizations. And so the question that I'm trying to work on with leaders is one, how are we defining success? That I think needs a big rewrite to get everything else right. If success is measured by simply shareholder price gain or to your point, productivity or efficiency, that, that there's no human measure in all of that. And so right. still trying to think through how do you measure the human value and innovation that can come through and connection and then secondarily, how do you then create the guardrails and be very explicit with role clarity, norms, here's how we operate and here's how we work. And when that, we're human beings who thrive off of role modeling, moral modeling, learning from others. So if our leaders disconnect and our leaders have the guardrails in place and they're explicit with their norms, their teams will be so much healthier. But we've got to get, I think this is really much has to be adopted at the very top. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, we, we've had a, a conversation or two, you and I more recently about the evolution of my role and the focus on human mm-hmm. sustainability. And that's at the core of it, right, is that organizations need to move to a, a mindset of how do we provide value for our people as much as our people are providing value for us? And what is what does that look like? Um, you know, and, and so that it's, you know, that really truly kind of is this virtuous loop of valuing the humans in our workplace and being able to measure and understand like what that looks like and having some real human measurement. So I, I love what you're saying. Um, how are we going to get there? (laughs) (laughs) I know this is, this is where I do have the luxury of being a researcher, (laughs) but no, I, I, it's a, it's a very fair question, Jen, and I, and I love your um, shift too, since we've last spoken towards sustainability, because I think that's the right frame. And there, and that I think is something that we can begin to measure over time um, yeah. and more tangible. So I'm excited for you on that. You know, how do we get there? It's going to take a lot of work. And um, it's funny, I'm actually working with a lot of CHROs and HR leaders. And a lot of it, what I'm hearing is around culture. And really just needing to change our organizational cultures to value and reward sustainability and actions Mm. that are sustainable. I think if I had to guess, we've probably over-rotated a bit on developing high performers. You know, we were always trying to develop those hippos within our organizations and figure out, you know, how to retain them. But I think as, you know, we've all seen, there's so much burnout that comes with the way that we've designed high performance today and then shifting culture and expectations that this is how we work now. Um, this is what work actually looks like. And it's gonna it's gonna feel different. Like even coming post pandemic, it still feels different to be a worker yeah. today than it did five years ago. And so we're rewriting the rules in real time. And I'm just hoping that companies that are leaning in on distributed work, enabling flexibility, setting parameters around technology use and making sure that it's benefiting the individual um, as opposed to profits, as an example, that Mm -hmm. they will win. And I think we're obsessed with like modeling companies. So if those big companies that adopt these new behaviors start winning in the market, I do think it will be a pretty fast follow. We continue to, I mean, those of us that are kind of deep in the, the research and the science of it also know and believe that when we do set the right guardrails and give people the right permissions and model the right behaviors to disconnect from work, for example, 
the benefit is not just to the person, but it benefits the organization as well, right? And so it's I I I think it's really important to be clear that it's not like that it's not like people or profits, right? <laughs> oh, when 100%. you value your people and you do right by your people, you also do right by the organization. So I guess my question to you is like, what do you say to leaders that kind of challenge you on this to say, you know, that are perhaps kind of stuck in the older ways of working or don't think that these behaviors are going to serve an organization well? Yeah. That's a great question. And we have some research <laughs> coming out that shows, you know, these behaviors we're talking about around putting guardrails around technology, embracing flexible talent models and giving flexibility in, in where and how people work is still rare. I mean, we only yeah. found 23% of companies today that their leaders feel confident um, enabling those behaviors throughout. So, you know, I think there's still a lot of resistance. You know, I think where I ask, encourage, where I've been having conversations recently is asking leaders how are you defining productivity? Mm. Because I think if we're missing on the productivity aspect and we still believe productivity as an example, if you're a software company and you still think productivity is the amount of lines of code your software engineers are writing, I don't think that's going to be the best metric that's going to get us to a place where we begin to redesign work. And it places the emphasis, I, I think, on sometimes the wrong attributes and at a task level, as opposed to defining productivity as other companies have done, such as around, you know, how do you make others around you better within the system? Um, what sort of value and contributions are you making? How are you completing your work, you know, as efficiently as possible? And then it doesn't matter what you're doing with the rest of those hours. I don't even need to have a 40 hour a week mindset anymore because that's mm -hmm. not how we're working, you know, but yet we still have these like faux paradigms, nine to five, Monday through Friday, 40 hours a week. But I think you and I both know very few people are actually working under those norms but yet that's how we think about productivity. And right. so that's where I'm trying to drive a different level of conversation is to say, and I don't know if you agree with this, and I'd be curious your thoughts. I don't even think it's an ROI conversation anymore. I think there's so much data that's out there that proves um, that working in a way that's sustainable is good for people and businesses. To me now, it's trying to have the, a new North Star metric around productivity, because that's where I see the hyper-focus today at the leadership level. I just struggle with productivity as I think it's an important metric alongside many others that help define success of an individual or of an organization. But I recognize that it's an important part of the conversation. If it was up to me, I'd probably get rid of a productivity metric altogether and say, like, are people yep. getting their work done or or, or are they not? <laughs> yeah, right. It's almost black and white. It's like, forget how it doesn't matter to your point. Like, it doesn't matter how much time it took them to do it or when they did it or even where they did it. But did they do it? And then did they do it to meet or exceed expectations? And if the answer is yes, then it's all good. Right. And so. Yes. Maybe that is the productivity metric. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Jen, that's so it's so wise you bring that up though, because I, I think that's actually spot on. And it's funny because I think what you just hit on is what's really underlying a lot of the concerns around productivity is trust in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And so I know we've had conversations around this before, but do you trust your workforce is becoming so much more paramount of a question? And our research, we found companies today that are leading in just flexible work, <laughs> a lot, not even remote first, just having some degree of hybrid arrangement are two times more likely at the leadership level to trust their workforce. And so it's if you don't have trust, it's much 
less likely you're going to adopt these, you know, what work future of work, <laughs> work in the now behaviors. Right. And so I think that's right. I think maybe even before we get to the productivity conversation, we need a metric of, do you trust your workforce? And that almost needs to be some level of management <laughs> gatekeeper yeah. before we let leaders lead, because there's too many people today that are leading large uh, workforces that d- simply just don't trust their workforce to do the right thing. So you just mentioned future of work, um, which is and kind of has been a huge focus of yours. Mm-hmm. When will the future happen? Like, are we in the future of work now? Is there a future of the future of work? I do think if we were to reflect before the pandemic and think about the amount of people that were working remotely, it was single digit numbers at the most yeah. part. So mm-hmm. that to me felt like, okay, well, that does feel like a future conversation because we really can't figure out yet how to enable remote work at scale. That was an IT issue, an HR issue, like tax laws and compliance. There was a lot of reasons why it didn't happen. That accelerated overnight because of the pandemic. And so that now feels like a here and now conversation. When it comes to AI disrupting the workforce and the tasks that we do, that now feels like a here and now conversation, especially with the onset of generative AI. Mm -hmm. And that to me, that's not five years from now, that's today. And then as it comes to like workforces, how we think through a variety of different talent arrangements also feels like a here and now conversation. You know, Gen Z in particular is demanding more flexibility and expecting it and opting into more freelance, you know, the US 1099 type work arrangements. And so again, like we can't wait five to seven years to actually start solving for these conversations. So I am all about, here's how we work now. This is what it means. And we don't know what the next five to seven years is going to hold, but God, I hope we figure out remote work <laughs> at scale <laughs> and flexibility and having AI be a friend and not a foe yeah. as we think about sustainability. So I don't know, Jen, maybe in five years, we need to come back if you want your 200th, <laughs> 200th episode. episode. Yeah. <laughs> I don't always like to talk about generational differences because I... Yeah often feel like when my generation was the younger generation, we had all the same trials and tribulations (laughs) in the workplace. But, you know, I do completely agree with you that there's a significant difference in the sentiment and expectations of our younger workers. And it brings me a lot of hope, actually, when you ask me what brings me hope, because, you know, they are demanding things be done differently from their organizations or the organizations that they choose to work at and they choose they will choose not to work at an organization if it doesn't align mm-hmm. with um you know with their values and needs. And so can you talk a little bit more about that and what you're seeing yeah. in your research? Yeah, I'm gonna share a little bit of the research then also just uh you know lived experience moment too, which was so eye eye-opening to me recently, which uncovers the big theme that I think is happening with this generation, which I think is to your point, it has little less to do with the generation and and probably more just around where we are as a society. Yeah. But I think for so often, even as a millennial, we saw work as a you know one-to-one relationship with our employer. And yes, we maybe started to bounce around faster at higher rates than previous generations, because again, we had the freedom to do so. But I think what I'm seeing with Gen Z is this desire to have a relationship to one-to-many. And I do think some of this is birthed from, you know, them truly being the first digital native, social media native generations, where they're used to connecting to multiple individuals, multiple companies at once. And I think that's carried over a bit on the employment side. And so, you know, to your point, I had a conversation a few months ago, someone who was a Gen Zer 
And they just told me straight up as their manager that they were looking for another job. And that to me was a bit of a culture shock because <laughs> I thought, oh, wow, like you're a high performer, you're on this project. And they just wanted to have an open dialogue of, hey, before I do this, I don't want to blindside you. This doesn't feel right how even we think about exiting an organization. And it was so humbling for me to one, check myself, thinking here I am as like this future of work leader, realizing that the level of transparency and open dialogue Gen Z is willing to have and that they are looking to have a one-to-many relationship. And so they want to still maintain a relationship with me as a leader or a manager, but they're now ready to move on to a different organization. And in some cases, multiple organizations is what we're seeing in our research. And so I just think that means, what does it mean when we no longer have a one-to-one relationship? You know, And again, yeah. it's not about even loyalty. It's just, they want variety of tasks. They want variety of income sources. They just think about employment very differently because they can. They can go be an influencer and have a side job on a social media platform. They can have a you know a corporate job. They can do multiple things. And so anyways, I just think it's interesting to think through how do we as leaders, one, probably check ourselves if we were to be honest and enable this newfound flexibility because the amount of creativity that comes from that and all the different contexts that they're seeing and different customers are interacting with I actually think is pretty powerful. It can bring a whole new way of working to the way that we think about work today. That that that's so fascinating. And it where my mind went is, you know, it also means that you know, I think in my own um, experiences and in 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 the book that I wrote with On Phillips, that Kelly, yes. you had so much influence into. So thank you for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's um, fun. But, you know, we talk about and we've heard for so long that, you know, and this still rings true, but like, you know, people don't leave organizations, they leave bad leaders or bad managers. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing you say, okay, that's probably true. Like if you're a bad leader or manager, yes, your people are leaving <laughs> because of you. Yeah. But what I'm also hearing you say is that might not always be the case. You might be a great leader or a great manager and somebody just wants to leave to have a different experience. Yes, a hundred percent. And and I think that the freedom to do that and the flexibility to do that, you know, you think about all the different platforms that are out there that you can contract and get work from. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's fascinating. So like as you think about like, you know, I think when the millennials are coming to the workforce, everyone thought, you know, oh, they're here to pursue their passion. That's what I mean by like them. all generations. Like I feel like they said that about my generation and the gen like, you know, when you're young in the workforce, of course you wanted to pursue your passion. <laughs> yes, totally. And but now I think the ability to realize that it yeah. is profound. And, and yeah. I think that again, like, do you talk, like, let's be optimistic. What are we optimistic about? I'm absolutely optimistic that the variety of choices of employment. Now, I think at a broader conversation with that, that leads to is how do we think about decoupling so much of our social safety nets that are found through a traditional business employment? What does that mm. look like? That to me is a future of work conversation because we're not there yet but around what does those worker arrangements look like and how do we make sure that we have the right safety nets and protection for all worker types so that no matter what generation you're part of, you can pursue uh, a variety of career options. Yeah, and I, I really love the the tie to that related to human sustainability because one, one thing that we talk about from a human sustainability perspective is the upskilling and reskilling of workers, not necessarily so that they stay in in your organization. But when we kind of flip that mindset of like, 
you know, what's an organization's role in bettering humans from a societal perspective and making people employable, whether they're employable for the long term at your organization or somewhere else. Um, you still have a role to play in making sure that you're providing skills and learning, um, regardless of whether they stay at your organization. And I think historically, we used to tend to kind of going back to your hypo framework, like yeah. we used to really invest in those high performers that we thought were going to stay with an organization for the long term, right? So we get the full benefit of that investment. And now that mindset is shifting that, you know, this is what's greater for the broader broader society, broader community, broader business world. Um, and so organizations do have a role to play in looking at talent differently and skilling its talent differently. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point you raised. And, and I think maybe that's part of the the big redesign that needs to take place as we think about, you know, how we work now. The expectation of a business leader has dramatically shifted, I think, in the last 30 to 40 years whether that's weighing in on societal level issues, having a point of view on some very sensitive topics, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, as we're talking about, like caring about your workforce sustainability and, and caring enough to to care whether or not they're doing well and healthy and thriving. Yeah. And so I do think there's probably a big educational reframe that needs to happen. If we as a society say, yes, business should be weighing in on these things. They should have a prominent role and helping solve for societal level issues, you know, that's where I do become empathetic to leaders, especially those who have been leading for a long time. This is this is a do your day job and <laughs> all these extra tasks that just let's, you know, I think that's where we have to be honest. This is certainly additive to the day-to-day job. Oh, for sure. My husband and I were talking the other day and, you know, both that we kind of looked at each other, we were talking about something and we were like, you know what, it's real. like, it's probably always been really hard to be a CEO, but it's really hard to be a CEO right now. (laughs) And (laughs) have a lot of empathy, right? And I mean, in in the world we're living in that is disrupted by one thing or another, um, it's very hard to be a CEO. And so, you know, and I'd love your perspective, because we talk a lot about like, bringing the workforce and the C-suites together, right? Like this idea of like, can we can we really co-create the work that we're talking about, right? Because I feel like right now it's, you know, leaders or a set of leadership that are talking about the redesign of work. Mm-hmm. And so how do we, how do we go about actually co-creating work? I know we talk about it, but like, is there a scenario in which that is actually reality? <laughs> Yes. And you mean the workforce is actually co-creating alongside leadership, some of these yeah. new yeah. paradigms. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I wish I had more positive news on this from our research. Um, as, you know, I think most consultant research that's coming out, you know, in our research too, we did find a disconnect between the C-suite. And honestly, this yeah. was a little surprising to me, even amongst their VP and directors. So mm. we didn't go frontline workers this time. We really wanted to understand, is there alignment on, again, this new way of working at the leadership level. And we saw a pretty substantial disconnect as you continue to move down from, you know, C-suite, VP, director, and senior manager. And so I think we're starting to see, at least for me, the first time I'm seeing in the research, a pretty profound disconnect, even at the top of, you know, what is the purpose of business? Do we trust the workforce? How are we thinking about incorporating AI? Should we enable a remote friendly, you know, culture? All of that, I think is being hotly debated even at the top within many organizations. And so as we think about co-creation, I do think like my, my caution is we have to make sure the ones at the top are aligned, 
Mm. And I think there's some work to do on that just because again, like no one was questioning some of these debates that we're having today. It just, we, we weren't thinking about remote work at scale. I mean, it was talked about, but it was put in the future work bucket, not in the here and out bucket. And so right. um, I hope, you know, technology should be our frontier. The ability to listen to your workforce in real time, that to me is, is going to be the key unlock is being able to democratize data so that your entire workforce is having true visibility into the organizational health, the operations, and then they're able to redesign work in real time with the more transparency and visibility they have. And again, this is where I do see AI and, and data prediction being a bit of a frontier. Yeah. And then there needs to be a feedback loop. So as much as the workforce needs to be empowered, there needs to make sure that there's a channel back up so that they can provide the real-time feedback. I mean, we've seen this in multiple use cases in the 70s and 80s with automotive companies that were able to compete well because of the feedback loop in the front lines. And so it's like, what does that look like for the digital workforce and how does AI enable this in real time? So those are the ways that I'm thinking about it, but I think it's going to be a challenge uh, because it, because of the disconnection I'm seeing up top. Yeah, we've seen in some of our more specific well-being related research just the disconnect between you know, the more senior leaders in the C-suite and the remainder, you know, the rest of the workforce, um, just in terms of views and perspectives on how the workforce is actually doing with their well-being, the Mm C-suite actually thinking that the the workforce is doing a lot better than the workforce says that they're doing. (laughs) Um, Like, and so that's kind of where I was coming from is like, what, how do we get, how do we bring this together, right? Like, how do we get the C-suite to understand the workforce's lived experiences and and almost vice versa, right? Because to your point and what we said before is like, it's really hard to be a C-suite leader right now. You know, like there is so much going on um, that in many ways, I almost feel like if we don't come together, we're going to, how are we, we can't solve this. Like if there's not listening on both sides to, to your point, right? This, this feedback loop, then we don't have a chance of actually figuring this out because <laughs> I yes. feel like, you know, we're, we're just pointing fingers and, and I think at each other. <laughs> to your point, just the art of listening. And I think doing yeah. that, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, but in a remote environment, in some ways it should be a great equalizer yeah. because there is no top floor office. We're all <laughs> coming in on the same size Zoom box. So in some ways it should promise some more flexibility and access to leaders. But at the same time, I actually, again, I think going back to some of the elements you've written about around human connection, it's hard to listen to remote environment in many ways. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to make the work visible. And, and I think that's where I, I worry a bit sometimes that remote work might be doing us a disservice in this regard and maybe amplifying some of the disconnection and lack of co-creation because we're not physically together. And so um, I do think it's up to leaders to bring the workforce together over periods of time to make sure that they are listening because it, it's hard to fake it in person. I think it yeah. can be easy as a workforce to fake it over, uh, you know, video calls. Yeah. A lot of what I'm hearing you say is that the skill set of, of a leader or what's required of a leader has significantly changed, but perhaps yes. <laughs> many of the leaders, probably myself included, haven't fully stepped into what's needed in this moment. It's difficult. And as I mentioned, being around the HR groups this week, getting that culture right is so difficult right now. And so I think 
I guess, I guess maybe the positive outline in all of this is I hope we can be more open-minded and more of an e- open ecosystem as we think about tackling these issues. Mm, I think I love that. often, yeah, we've been kind of, a cl- we operated right in closed system and yeah. protecting our IP. And instead, this is a this is a global challenge that everyone's trying to get right. And so I, I am optimistic that we might be leaning more into it, an open ecosystem because I think we can all learn from each other. Yeah, I, I love that. So one more question for you, Kelly, yes. and it's more of a personal question. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we've talked about kind of all aspects of how work has changed over the last five years. How have you personally changed uh, over the last five years? You know, so much has gone on since like social re- unrest, a pandemic, yep. climate crisis, all of these things. So, and just like the importance and the need for the work that you're doing, how has that impacted you as a person over the years and perhaps impacted your perspectives on work and how you work? Yeah, oh, I love that question. Um, so I think I'll, I'll start at a very personal level. I have truly embraced remote work um, and living and breathing it myself. So I made a move from Philadelphia to Florida uh, over the past year, which has just been an eye-opening experience to learn just a different rhythm of work even though, you know, obviously being at Deloitte previously, which is a distributed company, have learned to work remote, but still kind of was always anchored to an office. Mm-hmm. This has been great for me to actually learn in real time some of the friction points uh, that maybe my research isn't picking up on um, and just having a more of an honest assessment of the current state of what we're doing right and, and where we can improve. So I do like actually being a, a test case myself right yeah. now. And then from a research perspective, you know, it's funny. I, I think the one thing I'm changing my perspective on is leaning more into qualitative research mm. and storytelling. And as much as I'm still have like, you know, like I said, we're going to be releasing this research. We've got almost 2000 global executives we've uh, researched and surveyed. Those are so powerful, but I just think at the moment right now, I can continue to tell you, well, Jen, you know, these 23% of leaders are getting higher performance and here's the ROI stats but that's not moving the heart of leaders today. And so what I really am trying to do is listen more deeply through interviews, spending more time on the ground and really taking a more active listening approach to understand this seems so obvious. So why isn't this happening? And why are we having the same conversation we had five years ago? Why haven't we learned and why are we reverting back to pre-pandemic norms? And as I'm listening, I'm getting more and more empathetic to realize this is a big ask. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot going on right now, as you mentioned, at a social economic perspective, at a geopolitical perspective, and all of that, many organizations have suffered somewhat within their balance sheets through the pandemic. And so we're thinking about, are we going to be entering a recession or a soft landing? And so you've got companies embracing for continued economic uncertainty. It's a lot. And then I'm saying, okay, well, now you have to figure out how to re-engage your workforce. <laughs> And do everything differently out with the old. (laughs) Exactly. It's to this context. And I'm like, God, they're right. Like there is so much happening and this feels like a micro issue and they can control it. And if they can just go back to how they managed and led before, they feel like life would be simpler. And so as much as I'm trying to still rally against that with my research, I, as a researcher, I'm taking much more of a qualitative listening approach because I think the issue is too important to me. And I do think people are intelligent and I trust leaders to do the right thing as well. And so I know that there's some barriers getting in the way that I really want to uncover over the next year. I love that. And I, you know, I was, I was worried that we weren't going to end on a hopeful note about the future, oh. but I actually felt like that was 
that was very hopeful. I mean, and and I yes. love the fact that you're kind of taking this more like, you know, heartfelt view of research. So I love that. <laughs> yes, I know. I got to get beyond the numbers, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's why you and I were always such a great team because like you, I'm, I'm, I'm awful with numbers. I still am. Nothing's changed there. <laughs> so I still need that from you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do. I think that the time is calling for something different from all of us and something yes. that's significantly, you know, it's not easy, right? These are big, big, hairy problems. And I think we also live in a world where we're used to immediate solutions and this doesn't have an immediate solution. This is a long-term solution, you know, whether we like it or not, it's long-term. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yes. Yeah. So, well, Kelly, thank you so much. I feel like I could go on for hours with you and we might need a part two, especially after your big research project comes Mm. out in a couple of weeks. Um, But yeah, thank you for being on for our 100th episode. We can't wait till 200 to have you back on again. That's for sure. (laughs) I can't wait, Jen. And your guest list just keeps getting higher and higher. So I appreciate it. I still made an invite back. (laughs) You did. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. I'm so grateful Kelly could be with us today to talk about how the workplace has evolved. Thank you to our producers, Rivet360, and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. The information, opinions, and recommendations expressed by guests on this Deloitte podcast series are for general information and should not be considered as specific advice or services.